I now needed to provide a similar path and a similar experience for, for my people. So uh, I took the decision to shut every single one of our ministries down. Um, and I have to say it was a struggle. It was counterintuitive um, and, and there was nothing wrong. None of these ministries were, were proving to be ineffective, quite the opposite. And, and that was a really interesting process. I shared my heart with, with my, my leadership. I said, I'm sensing God inviting us to take this blank sheet of paper. Part of that means we have to lay down everything as it's been so that as we, God willing, journey out of COVID and lockdown, that we will only then begin to write on that sheet of paper what we sense God saying. And, and the beauty of this blank sheet of paper is is that I wasn't in any rush to begin writing on that sheet of paper. And, and I said to my leadership team and I said to the individuals, we will only write what we sense God saying on this blank sheet of paper. And, and we're journeying that out. Ministries are beginning to slowly pick up, but this is how God is so, I mean, he's, he's Alpha and Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. And one of the things we learned over the years was that there is literally an eternity of a difference between a good idea and a God idea. Hello and welcome everyone to our next Emerging Emmaus podcast, a time to recognise that we are all on a journey with Jesus, moving not just from glory to glory, but also at times from places of lament or loss and finding that Jesus is alongside with us as we are on that journey and moving us forward to a place of new life, new hope and a reinvigorating of his church. So thanks for being with us. And I'm Ruth, Ruth Kennedy. And alongside with me, we also have others. Neil from Irvine, Neil Arkett from Irvine. And Steve Aistot from King Craig. But you'll be pleased to know that it's not just our three cheery voices this time. We also have a guest joining us, minister from St. Martin's Memorial Church in Stornoway, uh, author of the Sleeping Giant book or a minister or a lecturer. Um, of course, I'm talking about Tommy McNeil. And Tommy, we are absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast with us. Um, and would you like to take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners, our viewers? Uh, maybe there are folks here that don't have a clue who you are. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for your kind invitation, your kind words, your kind introduction, and I'm uh, really delighted to be able to share in this time with you today. So, yeah, my name is Tommy McNeil, um, been a minister now for over 20 years uh, from Stornoway in the Isle of Lewis, and uh, when I uh, graduated and went to my first charge, I went to Barvis, which was on the west side of Lewis, and then in 2006 uh, came to here to, to Martin's Memorial. So been here for 16 years which I can't quite believe. I don't know where the time has gone. Time certainly do, sure does fly when you're having fun. And, uh, and as well as being a minister, um, I'm husband to Donna. I'm dad to Joe and Matthew, and they're both married. And uh, as of about 18 months ago, I'm now granddad to Haley, And uh, she is just a sign and a wonder. And uh, so I'm a very uh, blessed individual, uh, so much to be thankful for. And uh, I'm thankful for you guys running a podcast like this in order to try and bring some help and some hope and some encouragement uh, to God's people and to God's servants in these days. Well, it's just great that you are with us, Tommy. And I'm looking at the sign that's behind you there about jumping off, being all in and having great fun whilst doing it. And it certainly sounds like there has been a lot of time like that for you in ministry and in in, white, in life as it is. Yeah. Um, and as we're thinking about this journey from Emmaus, we know that the disciples left Jerusalem full of sorrow and, and confusion, maybe some misunderstandings before they encountered Jesus and then realised who he was and moved into the new things that he was showing them. And I'm wondering if in your time of ministry and even within all the good things that have happened and are continuing to happen, are there also points where you can relate to that Emmaus journey? I wonder if you might be able to share some of that with us. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I would describe myself as a as a gospel optimist, uh, and the reason for that is is my understanding of uh, the Bible uh, and also the teaching of Jesus and the revelation and the growth of His kingdom. Um, but I, I think that we always need to be real and honest and and say it's not always good news and it's not always good things to celebrate. And and I guess in answer to your question, um, I mean, I've known some some profoundly challenging times in ministry. In fact. Before I take it a bit more up to date, um, Sleeping Giant uh, was birthed in my heart in 2014. Um, I'd transitioned Martins from a church that was uh, threatened with closure in 2006 that were given a stay of execution. I came under a four-year year reviewable tenure. And having transitioned the church over the course of that six to eight years, and we had just opened the shed, uh, which was our, our new youth and community facility, then I was, I was burnt out, uh, I was broken, I was busted. And uh, I had a couple of kind of spiritual mentors that uh, I'd always looked to and trusted in and had some time with them. And they both strongly advised me that I needed to get away. Uh, and so I was in a very kind of low place in terms of personally. So I actually went to, to the U.S. for six weeks, uh, my first ever sabbatical, and uh, went through the stu study leave scheme and went out to California. And so during that time, it was a time of just needing to lay lots of things down and, and needing just to, to focus on getting my own heart healed, getting built up. And I knew that the only way I was going to be able to do that was to get away and out of the situation because there had been some profound challenges. So so certainly in that season, uh, there was a case of, of the whole thing about learning what it means to self-care and, and the whole uh, metaphor and analogy of you know, when you're on a plane and there's, there's going to be turbulence or whatever else, or, or they, you're going to enter into something and, and if the oxygen mask falls, you have to put on your own before you can help anyone else's. So so I, I had some personal experience of that. And then taking it more up to date, um, when, when COVID hit, uh, it was just such a unique season. And uh, for me, first of all, uh, I began to really struggle with lockdown in the sense of not having personal engagement with my congregation at a time when I just recognized they probably needed the church and the fellowship and the contact more than ever. And yet we were devoid of it. It wasn't an option. And um, and so at, at that time, I had to kind of lay down part of my pastoral heart and my, my passion really for, for my people. And I asked God for a specific grace, um, just that he would remind me that ultimately um, he is the good shepherd, that I'm an under shepherd and they're not ultimately my people, they're his people. And so I remember specifically asking God, please give me a grace to help me navigate this season. Uh, and he definitely did that. And I just knew a real sense of peace that I was entrusting my people to him. And, and that stood me in good stead, even coming out of COVID, because, you know, we've seen the majority of our people come back. Uh, but there's some who haven't. And, and they're assuring us that they're joining us online. And, and I hope they are. Uh, but there has been a degree of mourning uh, for some who haven't returned. And, uh, and with that, then just as I asked for a grace to... Uh, helped me navigate not having that personal engagement with my, my congregation and with people in the community, that uh, God has given me a similar grace just to entrust those who um, I'm not really exactly sure where they're at in their faith journey, uh, but I just have the confidence that, well, God, you know who they are, you know where they are, and you are far more able to look after them and make sure that they're well even more than I am. Thanks for that. Um, I'm just I'm wondering when you had mentioned about your own time of sabbatical and that own time of rest, I'm guessing, was it a resting in the Lord time so that you were restored in some sense? Did you find that a helpful, um, helpful learning points from that that then helped you with your church during COVID and, and that time of, I suppose, resting from yeah. lots of different types of ministries? Did you find that one helped the other? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of my philosophies of, of ministry and of life is every day is a school day. Um, so so when I was uh, away in the US for that six weeks, there was a personal challenge involved in me because I'm, I'm very family focused and my family um, are still, you know, my number one priority. And uh, and I really struggled with being away from them. But, but even they recognized actually that I, I needed some time out. And so um, I, I went to a place where I knew I wouldn't, uh, well, obviously I wouldn't be known. Um, I went to a place where there was a, a thriving church uh, that I knew of, was aware of. Um, and, and so it was it was just a season of six weeks where I was able to be autonomous and just go along and and uh, and just be in a place of, of just receiving. And then, you know, day to day, 
uh, when I mean I did say that Sleeping Giant was was born out of that, and it was that was part of the specific uh, reason I went, and I think that was helpful in in the midst of the laying down and in the midst of kind of resting on God, waiting on God, being healed by God. And, and I have to be really honest that, that part of that was was even just the basic thing of catching up on sleep. Um, then, you know, we, we know that nothing in God is wasted. So so when it came then to COVID uh, and uh, just some of the challenges that were brought to each and every one of us, then there was definitely some principles, some lessons that I learned. Uh, and, and, and I think the main one, honestly, was learning again what it means to be to be God's child. Um, allow him to care for you, allow him to minister to you. Because I think w- when you're in the uh, life of ministry, then you're so often, you're on the go 100 miles an hour, you know, very difficult to find time to carve out for yourself, especially time just to rest and, and to do nothing. And so I, I went from eight years of human doing and, and I had six weeks of being a human being. And uh, and then when that then, uh, when COVID came, then some of the principles I learned back then, I certainly put in place. And I also... Uh, was able to help uh, some of uh, our own congregation in terms of navigating uh, that time. That phrase, doing to being, it's that's quite a description. And I'm, I'm wondering, Neil and Steve, is that something that resonates with yourselves at all and with people that you've met as well? Just that going from a state of, as Tommy's saying, you know, a place of always doing, that doing and moving to being, how, how have you found that? I think I think uh, it, it, it's to do with maturing as well. I think you know the stages in life. So earlier on in my ministry, I remember having to come to terms with uh, the, this desire to prove yourself, to justify yourself. I was preaching grace, but I was practicing you know works, a, a, a salvation by works. Um, but it was part of. You know, my, where I was at, I was I was a you know twenty seven year old early thirties uh, early in the ministry, and 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 five years into the ministry, I realised that my greatest handicap was not, in fact, the expectations of my congregation, but my own expectations of myself, and and uh, to save me from the sort of burnout, I, 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 you know, I started to 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 breathe. I stopped so much. I realised I was doing far too much, and I needed to be much more, and. And, uh, and what a relief it was. And I think it's that thing that Tommy said there. It's that realization. It's that growing appreciation of your identity, who you really are in Christ, your beloved daughter, son of the most high God. And, and, and that is what I, that's really the, been the thing that, that, that has set me free. Steve? Yeah. I, mean, I was thinking too back to our last podcast, the one we had with the dear folk from uh, Granton. And they were talking about the the importance of that rhythm of of listening, mm. listening to God, listening for God, and acting out of that. And I think that the danger of of, um, of busyness is that that gets squeezed out, and we very easily find ourselves basically doing our own thing. You know, doing what seems to be a good idea, but it's not necessarily um, where the Lord's leading us at all. You know, so we're 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 very quickly into the red zone. Then you know, we're operating in in our own strength. So. Yeah, I think definitely getting back to that place of of being and having that place to to listen and to be operating out of a place of of prayer is is the only kind of long term sustainable and fruitful. I mean, it's the only way we can be fruitful, isn't it? Yeah, so so true. And um, it sounds as though there's some real healthy safeguards that can be put in place and that we can learn from as well in terms of that self care. I'm I'm at quite a different place in ministry in that I've only was only just ordained and inducted at the beginning of September Uh, so I'm at that place where I want to run full pelt but reminding myself no it's a marathon and having run a marathon or two there's no way you can run it at the same pace that you do a five or a 10k race so it's been it's really valuable to hear these insights about self-care about identity about doing and and moving to a place of being do you think the same is true for churches you know we were thinking there about our individual selves um tommy i'm just wondering then do you see the same thing within churches about that place of moving from doing to being and how have you found that yeah i mean 
I've got to be really honest in that um, when, when and, and I've got to appeal back to COVID just because that's what's so fresh in my mind. Um, but when when lockdown happened, uh, so before COVID, before lockdown, we were an extremely busy church, um, and and you know to be honest, that wasn't a negative because all of our ministry expression uh, had can had been born out of our seeking first the kingdom of God, and, and as we've been encouraging us. To, to be in that place where you can where you can listen and, and and one of the things we learned over the years was that there is literally an eternity of a difference between a good idea and a god idea um and so all of the ministries that we were actively in and we had about maybe 12 to 14 different ministries within our church between hospitality welcome take and media street outreach street evangelism and so on and so on worship team kids ministries all of that um then you know as we went into lockdown then Obviously, you know, it, it went from being incredibly busy to us not being able to, to engage and serve in that manner. And and I, I I kind of by default, you know, I'm not clever enough to work these things out. But in that process, um, God really ministered to my heart and, and he he told me it wasn't an, an invitation. I just sensed him say in my heart. Well, well there was two things. Uh, first of all, it says, uh, I want you to present to me a blank sheet of paper. And. Um, as I kind of waited before God with that, I was kind of saying, okay, well, what's this about? And, and and because on that, he also said, and by the way, don't just pay lip service to this. Um, and, and it wasn't a voice from heaven. You know, I didn't hear anything thunder. It's just you have a, you have a knowing in your knower. And, uh, and when he said, don't just pay lip service to that, as I prayed that through, then I knew that part of what I had walked out in 2014, I now needed to provide a similar path and a similar experience for for my people so uh, i took the decision to shut every single one of our ministries down um, and i have to say it was a struggle it was counterintuitive um, and and there was nothing wrong none of these ministries were, were proving to be ineffective quite the opposite and and that was a really interesting process i shared my heart with with my my leadership I said, I'm sensing God inviting us to take this blank sheet of paper. Part of that means we have to lay down everything as it's been so that as we, God willing, journey out of COVID and lockdown, that we will only then begin to write on that sheet of paper what we sense God saying uh, and when he says it and also the shape of what this should be. And, and, and one of the reasons why that was so interesting was as I uh, got in touch with each of our ministry uh, leaders and said to them, you know, I'm inviting you to lay this down and uh, and I put together an email and I encouraged them to send it out to their teams. And uh, and honestly, I mean, the first questions were, well, what do you mean? And why are you doing this? So that was that was the first thing. And I was able to kind of say, well, my sense in God. Second thing was, and, and when are we going to start up again? And and, uh, and I says, I'm sorry. I says, my sense is we're to lay it down and I don't have the prescription or, or the direction as to what's to follow after. And then the third thing was, and when I still be leading it, <laughs> And, uh, and, and you know, what we saw is is in the midst of the busyness of church, and it is, again, back to this whole thing of identity, that for some, that, that they were. And it wasn't, again, in a wholly negative way, but part of their identity in Christ was being found in their expression of ministry. And so when God, um, in a sense, under and shared that with me, and I, and I took that away, then there was a sense of, oh, oh, who am I now and what am I meant to do? But, but here's where that ended up being something that was stunningly beautiful. And I have to use these words that as COVID restrictions began to ease and as we began to engage with church, I could literally sense and even at times physically see the relief that those who have been involved in leading ministries, that they were able to just focus on their own heart, on their own walk with God, that they were able to come and be around church and Christian community without any sense of pressure, without any expectation, without any burdens or demands being placed on them, and, and that they were genuinely able to be in a season of just being a human being uh, and, and just reconnecting with God. And, and, and the beauty of this blank sheet of paper is, is that I wasn't in any rush to begin writing on that sheet of paper. And, and I said to my leadership team and I said to the individuals, we will only write what we sense God saying on this blank sheet of paper. When he, we sense him speaking, what he senses us, uh, that he's saying to us, and then we know that from that he'll, he'll bring a revelation as to who. Um, and, and we're journeying that out. Ministries are beginning to slowly pick up. But this is how God is so, I mean, he's, he's Alpha and Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. 
And so we now have maybe three or four of these teams beginning to pick up, but they're with new people. And so there's a freshness uh, in terms of the people who are involved and there's a freshness in terms of those who are engaging. So I'm just so thankful that um, his ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways. And, and just by navigating that, it's been a real, real encouragement for us. It sounds so positive and so encouraging that um, there's almost, there is this new picture on the paper yeah. that you're describing but you might actually not know what that picture is yet and you're content with that would that be right a hundred percent honestly uh, i think the grace that god has given is i i don't feel in any rush whatsoever and, and some of those who were involved in leading the ministries previously are kind of coming and saying hey when are we going to start up again and, and i'm very very fortunate with uh the the level of trust that my leadership have in me and my sense of god's leading and also uh, that our people have. And I have to say, because I don't want you to think that this is all about me, because when this whole blank sheet of paper thing, I invited my, my elders especially, uh, in terms of the spiritual leadership of our church, to be part of this journey with me, and that we would discuss together, and that I would welcome any of their thoughts and perspectives on, are we going to do, be doing this again? Or is there something new that God wants us to do? And, and as we're walking it out, uh, I mean, it, it tends, the focus has been a bit more on some of the new things that hadn't been there previously, um, although we are beginning to pick up one or two other ministries. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, um, it, it's just been, honestly, just such the sense of God's presence on it and, and, and the sense that we're genuinely journeying in this together. And the, and all of the people, as me, are, are thinking, yeah, let's not be in a rush with this, because by God's grace, we are discovering the God ideas rather than just the good ideas. It just it reminds me about on the you know, if we're thinking about the Emmaus journey, it reminds me that these two were walking so closely together, as it sounds like you and your church are walking closely together, and the community are. But more than that, there was that realization later that Jesus had been walking so closely with them as well. And I'm certainly I'm picking that impression up from you that there was a real and is a, such a closeness with Jesus as you and the church are walking this particular path and this particular journey out. Steve, Neil, I wonder if uh, if you have a different perspective with that or are you hearing different things from Tommy? No, I, I was really interested in what you were saying, Tommy, about, um, you know, how that, that word came to you and then how you shared that with the eldership in a very open way and then how that then went on to the people who were leading the various ministries and things. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is often the way, isn't it? Not not necessarily coming through the ministry, of course, either, you know, but, yeah. you know, God speaks to particular people at particular times and then we we explore it together. Yeah. I guess I'm quite interested to hear um, where things are at now. Is is the is it still a blank sheet of paper? Is it getting quite full? Are there some? Are they mainly new things that are on the paper, different to what was before, or how how is that at this point in time? Yeah. So I mean, honestly, it, it is. It's just amazing because the first thing that God actually wrote on this sheet of paper that I had a very clear sense of was. Uh, the issue of women in ministry and women in leadership. Um, you know, I, I'm ministering in the Isle of Lewis, and uh, and up until you know recently, we were the only church to have women deacons. So in all the other uh, churches within our island, uh, just their understanding is is that you know ministry is is, is more of a for men, and and so it's it's male um, elders and deacons. And, and the first thing that uh, that God wrote was women eldership um and, and i've got to be honest that was that was a curveball um i've always you know i knew that there would be a timing with that um and and so when that came to my heart i knew that within our context wow that's a biggie <laughs> i mean to start off with that especially in, in this church context so so what i did was and, and again because there was no pressure we, we had time on our side so so just as i've said steve as you've rightly highlighted um, I knew this was a, going to be a really significant move for our church. So um, I, I, I took my, my elders on a, on a journey. I shared with them my, my growing understanding from Scripture about the role of women in ministry. Um, and, and I called them to be uh, elders in terms of, I'm giving this to you, and I'm encouraging you to go away for a couple of months. And I want you to pray into this, and by all means, do your own reading of Scripture and any other resources. 
and let's come back and, and make a decision. And um, and when we came back after a couple of months, uh, then then you know I communicated my sense that this was God leading us. Uh, but but I make myself accountable, so I was very open to them saying, well, I don't sense that, and and we would have traveled that through. But it was one of these meetings where um, I was kind of ready, right? Okay, let, let's put a, a marker in the ground and say, yeah, we think this is one of our favorite churches, God and Words. We think this is the trajectory that we're going to choose. Um, but during the course of the meeting, I knew that actually, no, no, no. Now we're ready to make a decision. Um, and so um, by God's grace, the decision was unanimous. Uh, and so back in May, uh, we ordained our first women elders. Um, and, and I have to say that, you know, it, it caused some, it ruffled some feathers in the wider Christian community, even within our own presbytery. But for us as a church, honestly, man alive. I mean, I've got an amazing group of people and, and they were so part of the journey. And we just rejoiced in this new thing because this was totally new territory. And uh, man, what a gift and blessing our women elders are already to us. So, so yeah, it, it was it was surprising, but but wonderful at the same time. And, and Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, he steps out uh, into that uh, unknown and finds the, the the pathway in front. And yes. clearly, you you you're you're ready to do that and have done that in, in regard to this particular issue, Tommy. Uh, yes. And in your your book, The Sleeping Giant, uh, you you talk about that sometimes people are caretakers of congregations, undertakers of congregations, risk takers in congregations or in life and living. And, and clearly, uh, clearly risk taking is, is, is something that, is it, is it something that you, you warm to, or is, is it actually something that you, you do find fear in? Yeah. Uh, I've got to be honest um, that, I, I do enjoy risk-taking, I do. Um, but I'll tell you what I enjoy about it is giving the opportunity for God to show up and and that when you, you take that step, you jump into the void um, and you do so out of your sense of the leading of God. And, and here's maybe a lesson that might be helpful for our, for our listeners is, is that, you know, I, I know I'm not always going to get it right uh, and I'm very honest and open with that with my, my leadership and with our church. But what I rest in is, is that even if I've got or I haven't heard right or I've got the timing wrong, that God knows that in the very depth of my heart that the things that we do and the decisions we make and, and the changes we bring about or the new territory that we enter into, that, that it is it is nothing to do with personal agendas. It is nothing nothing to do with, with what I think would be good. It comes out of a heart genuinely as much as I can in, in dependence on the grace of God and the, and the life of the Spirit of God within me that it's about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and knowing that everything else will be added. And so for me, the whole risk-taking thing is a crucial part of it because it just keeps alive just the adventure of what ministry is and what life and ministry can be. And of course, risk-taking takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Courage and, and boldness and confidence and living a fearless life. And I guess where, uh, where there is faith where the spirit of the lord is we don't have that uh, fear yeah. holding us in and constraining us as much there's a freedom and it seems from listening to you as well that there is a, a freedom in your faith and a freedom in the church and courage that's growing as well in the community um, how are you growing that courage to continually take risks uh, of faith within the wider community? Yeah, so, I mean, the the main focus of that would be in and through the Shed Project. Um, our youth and community facility that we opened in 2014, we had our royal opening, Prince Edward and, and Sophie came and opened the building. That's another God story. Um, and just when I think that, you know, in terms of capacity of our team, even in terms of capacity of, of our Shed manager and our youth manager, um, I've said to them a couple of times, right, that, that's us now. We can settle in this. Um, and then God will come and, and breathe some fresh breath onto something. Um, so so for us, so so again, coming out of COVID, I mean, I just couldn't make these things up. But, but uh, I, I encouraged the shed manager uh, and I invited her that let, let's come into a, a time where, where for the next month we're going to pray and we're going to ask for God's leading in terms of, are there gaps in service provision within our community 
that uh, because of our work and because of how established we are and how well thought of we are, that that there's something more that we could be doing. And, and we both came back after that month with exactly the same thought that um, we needed to develop our work among children and young families. And that coming out of COVID, that they were really facing some real challenges. Um, and, and so cutting a long story short, uh, I said to the shed manager, we're not going to reinvent the wheel because it would take us too long. And by the time you would get all of uh, the things in place to be able to launch something. So uh, we, we began to, to look further afield. And honestly, into that context, uh, Don McMillan, uh, the Scottish church manager of Safe Families, got in touch with me. Uh, he'd, he was aware of the shed project. They had a couple of their volunteers in Lewis on holiday. They came across a situation because Safe Families basically is training up volunteers uh, to come alongside and journey with families who are facing str struggles that are bigger than they are, but it's a, it's a kind of preventative uh, support work so that they don't necessarily have to get to the stage where they need some social work intervention or that kind of professional agency level of support. And so it's an informal kind of mentoring and befriending service, but part of the, the wonder of it is is that safe families train up the volunteers to actually go into the people's homes. And, and you, you can become a host friend where you don't only go and visit people in their homes, but you can actually provide respite care. So you can take their children for a night or two. I mean, it's very thorough, the whole process. So anyway, we knew that this was something that um, that, that God wanted us to develop in. So, so we worked with safe families over the period of six months, and we put together a funding package uh, to run this for six months, uh, sorry, for three years, was going to cost us uh, £275,000. Uh, we didn't have a penny, um, and I made it very clear to safe families, to our manager, that we are not going to put one toe in the water. We're not going to put a foot on the, this new territory until all of the money is in place. Um, so, so we engaged with the Cora Foundation, secured most of our funding from them. We also then engaged with our local authority, our local health board, because uh, we knew that this would only work with, with partner partnership working. And, and local authorities uh, and health boards are very good at, at kind of cheering you on and all the rest of it. But if you ask them for money, then that brings the, the level of partnership to a, a more realistic level. And, and they, they were all over it. They couldn't believe that we were willing to do this. And so um, as of um, well, four months or so ago, uh, we employed three staff. Um, they now head up Safe Families uh, and it's been launched. So they've been through a, a staff training process, getting all of the the infrastructure in place, and, and so that's going to be launching uh, in January. So so that was, again, risk-taking, uh, but, but more so with a focus on the community, and the biggest risk with that was the financial risk. Um, but by God's grace, we, we secured all of the money. And, and um, a lot of what I'm saying, and even our work in the church, can be summed up in, in a quote that I read from Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, China Inland Mission, who said, God's will done in God's way and in God's time will never lack God's supply. Uh, and that's that. That's really been our testimony. Uh, I love that quote. It just sounds great, and it's a good way of summing summing up what you've been saying there as well. Um, and when you mention children's and families, uh, my area ministry is quite focused. Well, specifically focused on the under forties. So I want to then ask about the under forties on that blank piece of paper. You've mentioned working with safe families do you have other holy ghost unctions or ideas from god or uh have you got other things on that blank piece of paper that are specifically for the under 40s yeah so um we, we have <laughs> i mean honestly yeah i mean so, so we have young adults ministry so so we have a young adult ministry uh, which is really for 18 to 25s although i have to say we stretch it beyond the 25 uh, just because it's just such a good work. So so, so that's a kind of informal ministry. And, and uh, pre-COVID, uh, they would run with it themselves and organize it themselves. Uh, and they should agree with that's still happening, but we just recognize that uh, they probably needed just a little bit more sense of direction and a little bit more oversight, not in a heavy-handed manner. So, so we've picked that up again. And uh, but but we're developing it, so it's it's kind of informal that they meet for a coffee, they'll sometimes go out for a meal. But we're developing it by um, looking at individuals within our congregation, mainly within the congregation, who um, have have specific skill sets. Um, so so that they'll go to this this person or this couple's home, and uh, sometimes it's for you know it can be along the lines of professional development. Sometimes it's someone who set up their own business. 
the others it's it's family and learning to be family so so this is kind of organic organically growing um so that's our young adult ministry and uh, as of as of this week uh, so uh, our safe families work is for uh, those specifically for children between 3 and 15 uh, if we engage with a family who have a child who's you know in their 20s um, or, or sorry, in their teens, but they have a little one who's who, like say they've got a child who's seventeen, but they've also got uh, one who's three or four. Then we'll engage with that family. But but we were aware and we were deliberate with with the boundaries of setting it at three to fifteen that it did leave a gap between the birth to two, um, and so we knew that this would likely be an area of development. But I had put that off for a year or two, um, but but we're actually now uh, working on that. So. We're hoping in the new year to employ what we're going to be calling an intergenerational worker. And this is going to be someone who will have a sp- specific focus on working with the, from birth to two, but they're going to deliberately uh, glean volunteers from our church who are in the 60-plus age bracket. That's going to be the demographic we're working with so that they'll come in to volunteer with uh, these children and with their young families. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that is part of Safe Family. So those under 40s, a number of those who we're going to be supporting with Safe Families and our intergenerational worker are single parents who are under 40 and who have younger children. And so the intergenerational worker is then going to give opportunities. Uh, we already have parent and toddler groups for, and uh, we're going to develop some messy church stuff. Um, and, and the idea is, is that as the seniors um, offer to volunteer, that there'll be a growing relationship and then that they will informally befriend and if required, provide mentoring to these young mums and these young dads if it's required. So, so, so that's that, that's kind of hot off the press. Um, and uh, yeah, so our intergenerational worker, they're going to have a specific focus on on just again bringing the generations together. It just sounds such a valuable piece of work, the intergenerational work, and a number of places and churches are looking at intergenerational ministries or intergenerational worship and how we do that how one generation learns from another be that elder to younger or younger to elder and you know Neil mentioned about your book tour and I was really thankful Neil that you mentioned it because obviously you went round Scotland with your sleeping giant book um, and talking about it and before we go there I just wondered while you were going through uh, the, the tour did you also come across other places uh, that were involved in that kind of intergenerational ministry um, and if you had anything else that you wanted to say about that intergenerational ministry yeah so um, I mean I, I, to put this in context but when I came here in 2006 um, our initial growth certainly in terms of significant growth was among uh, young people and young families and we were rejoicing in that, but I felt one of these kind of checks in my heart, and it was my sense of God saying, "Be careful, you don't just become a youth church." Uh, now there is nothing wrong with being a youth church if that's what God calls you to be, but I knew that wasn't His call on us. And so, as as we were seeing all these young people, and there was growing uh, ministry expression amongst young people, at the same time we began to set up specific ministry to our seniors. Um, so that started off as as a, a lunch club. Uh, going to a local hotel once every six weeks, um, subsidising a lunch for them and uh, and having in a local person to speak, sometimes from the church, sometimes just from the community. From that flowed uh, a Young at Heart Bible study, so they would meet on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, from that flowed a, a visiting team um, where uh, we made sure that, especially for our housebound members, that there would be regular contact and engagement. And, and so... My understanding of the intergenerational stuff comes from God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he loves the generations, and he loves the dynamics of the generations working together. And, and Psalm 145 verse 3 tells us, one generation will commend your works to the next. And, and I always had a limited understanding of that in terms of it being top down. Uh, but what we discovered was that it actually works both ways. And, and with this influx of new people and young people, then it honestly... It, because we'd kind of taken our, our church on a journey. So our seniors rejoiced in this and they welcomed this and it energized their faith. And so over the years, we even have, we have times where we've had afternoon teas where our young people serve and where they, they, they set up a quiz and, and where they engage with our seniors. 
And, and so um, part of that is expressed through Sleeping Giant. And that's why with the book tour, uh, we entitled it uh, The Sleeping Giant Blessing the Generations Book Tour. And on the tour, I, I, I shared two messages from my heart. The one that wasn't in the book, but it's loosely there in terms of uh, the chapter on God's retirement plan. And, and really communicating the message that if the majority of our membership within the Church of Scotland is more senior in age, you know, that's not a surprise to God. I and mean, it's not a difficulty for God either. Um, and really challenging some of the, the thinking that's out there that, oh, the next move of God is going to be among young people. Well, is that for definite? Has God really said that? And if he has, then we're going to need some spiritual mums and dads and grannies and granddads. So we still need everyone to play their full part in God's purposes. Um, and, and the other message was uh, taken from the last chapter of the book. But what I saw as part of the book tour, and it was just such an encouragement, was in each of the places where we were each evening, that the generations were represented. Um, and it was quite something. There's just there's a very, very powerful dynamic, and you guys will know it, that when you, when you get to the generations worshipping together, working together, loving God together, loving one another. And so and just to kind of bring this part to a close for me, so, so an absolutely crucial part of that for us and our work here at Mars Memorial is in the 16 years I've been here, um, we still have a hymn sandwich Sunday morning service and, and that's led by an organ. Um, and, and some of my friends think that I'm off my head and how can we? And the thing is, God still seems to like it. Uh, but what it's done is, is that over the years, it's made our seniors feel that they're honoured and that they're still such an integral part. And actually, our young people love these services. But then in the evening, uh, we have a fully contemporary uh, band-led uh, service that, that's more so certainly focused on youth, but also the unchurched. And, and honestly, because we've honoured our seniors, then they have been so permission-giving, but also they've, they've financially given so much to our work among children and young people. So, so yeah, God's, God's heart is definitely... There's, there's a fresh breath from heaven on, on the generations and getting the generations together. That is a beautiful word that there is a fresh breath from heaven on all the generations. And I think it's real testimony as well to the blessing of God on all the generations yeah. uh, that we're hearing from you. Just as we're drawing to a close and I want to have time just to uh, briefly talk over a little bit about what you're seeing from a more national perspective. Um, but before we go there, Neil, Steve, is there anything that you want to come in with just now? No, just just bowled over and so encouraged and inspired. And one of the things I think, the older you grow in the faith, uh, is that that you learn to just rejoice in what's happening elsewhere. You know, you you, you learn to do what Paul said. You know, I, I regularly give thanks to God for you, and 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 that is it's such a blessing to hear what's happening uh, with you, Tommy, and Thank with you. your people. Praise God. Yeah, I'm guessing we're, we're not going to have time probably to get into the book and, and what's in there, but it is, it's a great book and I, I recommend people uh, read it if they haven't done it already. But one of the themes that really struck me in your book, Tommy, was uh, the way you speak about the church with, with such passion and with such love. And I felt challenged, um, as I think anybody who reads that book will, about how we think and how we speak about the church. And I thought that was such a word for a time such as this in the Church of Scotland, you know, where there's, yeah. there's so much kind of change going on, so much churn, um, so much grief, you know, if, if we're honest about it. And and yet, you know, that is no reason at all to to kind of think down or, or talk down yeah. Um, the bride of Christ, you know, I mean, one, one of your chapters, every bride is beautiful, you know, that is wonderful. So, and, you know, that's come across so clearly in what you've shared with us with us today. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. It's a gift gift to the church. I mean, thank you so much, Neil and, and Stephen. I really appreciate these comments. And, and you know, I've always had a love for the church, but, but I spoke about a fresh breath being on the generations. I, I think that there's also a fresh breath in terms of our love for the Church of the Lord Jesus, you know, I love the Church of Scotland. I do. I was, I came to faith in the Church of Scotland, called to ministry in the Church of Scotland, um, and I said at the beginning, you know, I'm a gospel optimist, and I'm feeling the pain of these profoundly challenging days, uh, but but I have to be convinced that our greater days are still ahead of us, uh, and that almost can almost sound insensitive uh, in the in the challenges with the current that we're facing. 
But, but I, ju I just think that God is actually getting us ready. And sometimes, you know, Matthew Henry, the great commentator said, you know, when the enemy is plotting the church's downfall, that's when God is often getting ready for a great resurrection. Um, and, and part of my heart is, and you guys have done it for me today, uh, which really touches my heart is, I want. I genuinely want to cheer on every church, and not just the Church of Scotland. You know, right across the denominations. I couldn't care less whatever you know expression of someone's church is. Uh, but I do have a. I'm called to the Church of Scotland, a specific burden, and I want to cheer on. And, and like that, I want to champion. I think you know what Neil has been doing there, and 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 just all the stuff and the connections, and just incredible. And and then Steve's work when he was. Uh, mission development worker working on mission and discipleship and his his work amongst you know the 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 those who've kind of come away from church and, and I just think that that yeah there's just too much negativity about it. it takes no faith to speak death to that which is already dead you know that's the opening chapter of sleeping giant and, and what God's calling us to do today is to speak and to speak prophetically even to that which is dead and to call for new life to come I guess that's what you're doing Tommy isn't it you are speaking life Yes. into the body of Christ. You're giving that message of hope into the body of Christ. And I'm just aware that we really need to, unfortunately, round up today. So before we we just think about um, the those golden nuggets and treasures that we're going to be taking away, I'm just wondering, is that the message of hope that you feel God is speaking to us as a church in this day? It definitely is, Ruth. You know, the Bible tells us hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there's people who will be listening to this podcast who God has given them promises. God has given them vision and dreams. And they may not be seeing any evidence. They might be actually seeing what looks like the opposite. And so if hope deferred makes the heart sick, then it means that we know a sickness of soul and a sickness of heart. Um, but the Bible speaks about, especially in, in Romans, about the power of hope and about the God of hope. And that when we encounter the God of hope and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will then overflow with hope to others. And so just to mention just that point on the book tour, the sense of renewed hope, the sense of revived hope, uh, each of the places where we went. And, and I recently did a staff conference for SU and, and they'd asked me to speak on the theme of prayer. And, and I sensed and I said to the leadership, listen, I actually think that that's going to be put a, a bit of a burden on your people because none of us feel that we're good at that. And uh, so I said, I really sense God's leading on me to speak about hope. Uh, and so they were very accommodating. So I, I shared messages around the theme of hope is here. And uh, honestly, man alive, the sense of renewed hope. Uh, and I pray that even God will use this podcast, that, that with some of the, the things I've shared, and it's not all about me, and it's not all about Mark's Memorial, it's not even about Sleeping Giant, it's about Christ's kingdom purposes. And he is he is still on his throne and he is still doing great things. And, and Revelation 19.10 tells us the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so everything that I've shared and, and you guys share as part of this podcast, anything that you share with life on it, then it's prophesying hope that he's still Jesus. He's still on his throne. He's still doing what he always did. And his kingdom is still advancing and he is still building his church. What a word of hope to finish on, Tommy. Thank you so much. Uh, Steve, Neil, okay, we have a really tricky task this time. <laughs> Always is tricky to find one golden nugget of treasure to take away. But what is your takeaway from today? Mm, I think my takeaway, Ruth, is um, good idea or God idea. And, you know, that picture of laying things down on a blank sheet of paper, we're not all called to do that all the time, but we can always ask that question, is this a good idea? Is it a God idea? Um, so, yeah, that will be living on with me. And for me, it, you know, it's better felt than tell. And and uh, you know, we've not just he heard this tell, these stories, we've, we've felt it, passion. And that's infectious. And I'm sure it'll be infectious for people that you know tuning into this podcast. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm I'm inspired. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, and I have to say the nugget um, that I'm going to take away, store away, and and shine brightly away. Uh, I think we'll be going from that place of doing to being, and being in a place of that absolute hope. I love your message about the hope that God has. 
Um, and in terms of that Emmaus journey and emerging out of the Emmaus place and road, knowing that there is such good hope set before us by Jesus certainly keeps us walking when we feel our feet are heavy. So, Tommy, a huge thank you to your time, to your insights, your vulnerability and your truths with us. Uh, we bless you and your family and your wider church family Ruth, as Ruth, well. Sorry, Ruth, sorry, can I have 30 seconds, Ruth? Yeah, go for it. I, I honestly just sense um, God stirring something in my heart, uh, particularly for those who are in a difficult season and in a season where there's little hope. And, and I really just sense God reminding me that, you know, before Jesus did anything, before he had performed a miracle, before he preached a message, taught a sermon, before he did anything in terms of ministry expression, the Father broke through from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. And it's it's reaffirming and, and building stronger that whole thing about human being rather than human doing. And that for, for ministers, for elders, deacons, for members, adherents, for folk out there, you need to know today, not tomorrow, not next week when you do whatever's in your plan. Today, God would want to remind you, and you need to hear this from him. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And with you, I'm well pleased. Right now, in this moment. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tommy. Um, I need say no more other than please join us on our next podcast when... We will have a different tact entirely. We're going to be listening in conversations with Fiona Stewart and Peter Gardner from the arts community in Glasgow and throughout Scotland. Uh, but for just now, thank you so much for joining us and go and be that child of God we are called to be. Thank you. In your neighborhood, trudge two dumped Jesus friends, drowning before dawning moving through a maze of misery to an amazing Emmaus encounter. Emerging Emmaus. Good grief, our dream is dead. Going home instead, comfort of my bed. Good grief, the pain. Hope hard to sustain, love down the drain. Good grief, where have you been? What we've seen, blown to smithereens. Good grief. How our hearts burned, our minds turned, or all we learned. Good grief, don't go away. Come in to stay. You've shown the way. Good grief, how he broke the bread with hands that bled, then disappeared. Good grief, Jesus alive. No need to strive, chance to thrive, Jesus alive good grief no time to waste now we have a taste to jerusalem with haste emerging emmaus a well-kent lament echoes through the years how long how long good as is the grieving process may it be a means to access visions and dreams of christ's kingdom come emmaus emerge from the gloom come holy spirit come so for future podcasts, join us via the Sanctuary First website, Facebook page and app, and also via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Come on, tune in.